So glad you're here with us this morning. My name is Keith Dollar. I'm the lead pastor here at City Church Garland. And I just want to say uh, it is a joy to be here with you guys and to be a part of what God's doing in this small family community of faith here. I love that, that we're a family here. We are in the middle of a series called Family Values. And we are looking at eight of our family values here. Every family has some values, whether they've identified them or not. And we've identified some core values as a church family that are important to us, that we want to focus on, that we want to pursue. And one of those family values is faithful prayer. And so on our website, we have this, and it says, we are aware of our own limitations and God's willingness and ability to do the impossible. So we pray and continue to believe that God hears us and will answer our prayers in his timing. Prayer changes things. It is the means that God has ordained for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. The early church was a prayerful community. And as they prayed, the Holy Spirit moved powerfully amongst them. And so we value prayer here. If prayer was like a, if your prayer life was like a wheel on your vehicle, would it be more like your steering wheel or would it be more like your spare tire? If your prayer life was like a wheel would it, and on your vehicle, would it be more like a steering wheel that you, that is so crucial that you use to go and drive and direct that vehicle? Every time you get in that vehicle, you're using that. And central to you guiding your vehicle. Or is it more like that spare tire in the back of your vehicle that every once in a while you might get a flat and then it's time to pull that thing out and get somebody to help you change that tire and say, hey, I need some help here. Is prayer central to our lives? God desires that we live prayerful lives, that we live our lives in constant communion and conversation with Him, that we walk with Him, that we know Him, and that we experience all His goodness that He has for us. If I were to see a transcript, if we were to see a transcript of your prayers over the last week or over the last month, what would that look like? Just think, just think about your prayer life over the last week or last month. Some of you keep a prayer journal so you have a transcript of what your prayers have been, right? But what, what would your prayers look like? What would that prayer uh, transcript look like if we were to see a, a picture of that? God wants that to be loaded with conversations with Him where he's talking to us and we're talking to him. We're pouring out our heart to him. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 18, a parable that Jesus gave specifically to lead his people into a life of prayerfulness. Jesus Christ himself lived a prayerful life daily daily he would wake up he would rise early he would spend time with the father and he would have communion with the father throughout his day he always kept in step with the father and with the spirit he was in tune with the father and in luke 18 it says in in the middle of a, a conversation about the end times so if you look back to luke 17 you'll see that this parable is given in the context of speaking about the return of the Son of God. And even in verse 8, you'll see that. He gives this parable, to, verse 1, 
he told this parable to the effect that they they ought to always pray. He told them a parable to the effect that they that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. And he said in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And he and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And all God's people said, Amen. So here's the big idea. This is where we're going this morning from this text. Is that God desires his people to be faithful in prayer. That they may experience all his blessings and purposes revealed in the earth. Amen. So number one, there was a reason that Jesus told this parable. Luke interprets this for us, okay? We don't always get this gift in every one of the parables where it's clearly interpreted like this. Luke says that he told them the parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. That is my aim this morning. That is my goal for us, City Church. And if you're a guest here, my goal and aim this morning is to take the word of God and encourage you and let the word of God have the effect on your life that you are fueled and boosted and energized and motivated and thrusted in to a prayerful life. That's why Jesus told this parable, that people would pray always and not lose heart. God wants you and I to be faithful in prayer. It's God's will for us. To be prayerful people, not to just have prayer as a spare tire that we pull out only in times of trouble and we call upon his name. Now, that's fine if you call upon God wants us to call upon him in times of trouble, but he wants us to come to him daily and experience him and know him and experience his heart. I have four children and many of you know and have seen my four kids and they're little children and I love them and they come to me daily. And they come to me with requests, many requests, desires, things that they want. They come to me with reports. Daddy, so-and-so happened today. Daddy, I saw this today. Daddy, so-and-so threw a rock at me. You know, they have reports. <laughs> and, and that's fine. I, I love it when they come to me with reports. And I love it when they come to me with requests. And I love being a dad who can meet those requests and those desires and those basic needs that they have. But sometimes my kids will come to me and they just want to, they want me to hold them. They just want to rest in my arms for a moment. Now, each of those, I'm delighted in my children and coming to me. But I especially love it when my kids just come to me and they just want to, they just want to rest in my arms. They just want to experience dad's embrace, dad's love. God wants us to be a people of prayer. It's God's will for us 
that, that we experience him, relationship with him, and all the blessings that come from having a relationship with him. Okay, answered prayers. The Apostle Paul exhorted the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. He said, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to know God's will for you? In Christ Jesus, it's very explicit right there. Be a joyful, prayerful, thankful person. That's what God wants. I pray that for our church, that we would be a joyful, prayerful, uh, thankful people. That's that's one way we can pray God's will over ourselves and our, our church, right? That we pray without ceasing. Now, this sounds impossible, doesn't it? I mean, what, is, what does this mean to pray without ceasing? Or as Jesus, as, as Luke 18, 1 says, to always pray and not lose heart. Does that mean that we're just nonstop, constantly bringing petitions to God? What does it mean? It means that we live with the awareness of God's presence and that we keep a continual conversation going with him. We keep short accounts with him. It's not just a check-in in the morning or a check-in in the evening, but it is a conversation. It's, it's, a, it's, an, it's awareness of his presence and talking to him, living our lives in the presence of almighty God, living with the awareness that he's there, he sees us, he hears us, he's for us. And keeping a conversation, not not stopping in prayer. Uh, Paul says in Romans 12, 12, be constant in prayer. Colossians 4, 2, continue, continue steadfastly in prayer. The Bible puts value on the saints living prayerful lives. And so do we. That's why we value that here. Because all throughout scripture you see prayer. Because it, it's how we connect with God. It's how we relate to God. We talk to God and he talks to us. There was a, uh, a chef, a cook named Brother Lawrence who wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And he had a couple quotes here. And he says, this is, there is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. Those only can comprehend it who practice it and experience it. You got to taste and see for yourself that God is good and that this life of prayer is good and worth having. Many of us see prayer as merely an obligation of what we ought to do. But today I want to encourage you and exhort you to not only see it as an obligation of what God demands of us and requires of us, but see it as an opportunity for you to experience God and delight in God and get to know Him deeper. And, and prayer, as one author says, prayer makes it safe for God to give us our request. Because we're looking to Him and we're not, we're not worshiping the gift, the thing that we're asking for. We're looking to Almighty God as the ultimate source of our joy and the one from whom all good things come from. Another thing Brother Lawrence says is, do not be discouraged by the resistance that you will encounter from your human nature. You must go against your human inclinations often. In the beginning, you will think that you are wasting time, but you must go on. Be determined and persevere in it until death, despite all the difficulties. Prayer can be difficult. There's a reason Jesus told this parable 
that men should always pray and not lose heart because our tendency is to throw in the towel when it comes to prayer. Our tendency is to look to financial resources. Our tendency is to look to human wisdom. Our tendency is to look to ourselves to just get it done rather than to lean upon God in prayer. I love that Buzz Aldred quotes as, as he arrived on the moon, takes communion on the moon, and he quotes John fifteen five. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me. You'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing apart from him. We need him. As we sang this morning, we need to be faithful in prayer because we need God's help. Let's look at this parable here. Faithful prayer changes things. This is a lesson we learn from this prayer is that prayer changes things. And persistent prayer, faithful prayer, prayer that doesn't give up. When we keep on asking, verse 6 says that the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Nevertheless, will the Son of Man find faith? When, when he comes, will he find faith on the earth? Prayer changes things. Prayer changed things for this widow in the parable. Something happened where she was done wrong and she was crying out for justice to an unjust judge who didn't fear God, who didn't respect man, who wasn't going to answer her request by moral conviction. He answered her request merely because of he was getting pestered by her. He said, she's going to wear me out. She's going to beat me down. And so I'm just going to give her what she's asking for. Some of you parents know, know what this is like when our kids use their persistence to ask for something. And we've said no, we said no. And then finally you just, you give in. Okay. Prayer, by the way, prayer is not us trying to overcome God's reluctance. You see, Jesus uses this, this unjust judge as a contrast. God's not like an unjust judge. He's a good father. He's a just, perfect in righteousness and justice. He loves it. It's the foundation of his throne. Look at this. Psalm 68, verse 5. It says, God is a father to the fatherless. Protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God cares about widows. And so when a widow has a need... God is a protector. He's going to intervene. He's going to step in because he is a God of justice. He protects the defenseless, right? Uh, Psalm 103, 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. This is our God. Psalm 89, 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Psalm 33, 5, he loves justice and righteousness and the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. God loves justice. How about you? You know, there's a lot of injustice going on in the world today. And I believe that it will increase more and more as the end approaches. Perilous times will come. Lawlessness will abound and the love of many will grow cold, Jesus said in Matthew 24. And so injustice and violence and iniquity will spread on the earth before Jesus returns. It's going to get worse before it gets better, the Bible teaches us. 
But we have a relationship with a God who loves justice. You know, right now on the earth, there are more slaves in human history than there's ever been. Sex trafficking, human trafficking is a huge issue. That's a, that's a matter of injustice that we should cry out for. Uh, there's, there's racism, there's um, killings, police officers, there's been injustice that's been highlighted in our country. Um, there's injustice with the killing of unborn children in the womb. There's all kinds of injustice going on in the world and God cares about it. God wants to take action, okay? Faithful prayer is a means by which God brings justice on the earth. So if you want to see God's reign and righteousness, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Justice is an important aspect of what it looks like where God reigns in the hearts of individuals. So one of the things we should pray for and cry out for is justice. Like this widow who cried out day and night. And we can trust that God delights in justice. That he wants to execute justice and righteousness for all who are oppressed. That he's going to intervene. Especially for those of us who are his elect. For those of us that he has chosen before the foundation of the world and he's called us and he's drawn us by his grace and mercy into a relationship with him and we've become children of God. Therefore, you and I have the ear of our heavenly father. And Jesus says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay over them? And even says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Now, again, our timing is not always God's timing. And as in his sight, a day is like a thousand years, right? And for us, it's like, God, how long? When will you act? When are you going to intervene? This seems to be taking way too long. But we have examples all throughout history, throughout the Bible of men and women who waited on God, who called out to God, and God showed up and he showed himself faithful. D.A. Carson says this about prayer. He says, prayer is God's appointed means for for appropriating the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. God has ordained the means, though he is almighty, sovereign God who rules over the earth. He's ordained the means of prayer to be how he releases his blessings, justice on the earth. His his kingdom and his will is established on earth through the prayers of the saints. Now, that's a huge privilege And a huge responsibility that you and I get to pray into and be a part of what God is doing on a global level. So when we read things in the news about potential war and loss of life and we read about injustices, let's not merely just scan over those and move on about our day, but let's stop and say a prayer for these things that are wrong and wicked and and there's danger, there's life being lost and people being killed and people being oppressed. Let's say a prayer and cry out to God, bring justice on the earth. This is what your kingdom looks like. So God cares about this. Being faithful in prayer is also necessary for you and I to finish well. 
Not being faithful in prayer is not an option for us if we're going to finish well. Jesus says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And so I just want to ask you this morning, when Jesus Christ comes back, he's coming back. And every eye will see him. Every knee will bow before him. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Christ returns, will he find you in faith, found faithful, finishing well, having fought the good fight of faith? Not ashamed when you see him. First uh, John 2.28, it says, Now little children abide in him, so that when he returns, you may have confidence and not shrink back in shame. Will he find faith on the earth? I think the implication is yes, he will. He will find a remnant of faithful people on their knees, believing, looking, those who love his appearing. But my question for you is, will he find you faithful in faith before him? To be found faithful on that day, we need to be faithful in prayer. We need to pray prayers of faith, and we need to frequently and faithfully come to God, depending and leaning upon his sustaining grace to keep us. And he will. He will do that. So how can we be faithful in prayer? One is the perspective of having a biblical perspective of who God is. We need to pray with the perspective of who God is and what he has promised, what he has said. Or as, as it's also said in scripture, praying in faith, just simply praying in faith, believing the perspective that scripture gives us. In this parable, Jesus is giving us a perspective on prayer. And a part of that perspective is, is that God changes things through prayer. Prayer changes things or God changes things through prayer. And God is a just God. Who cares about his people. Uh, Luke 11. He's a good father who gives good gifts to his children. To those who ask him. Okay. So prayer isn't trying to overcome some reluctance in God to give us good gifts. He wants to give us good gifts more than we even desire them. And prayer makes it safe for us to get those good gifts from God so we don't turn those things into idols. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, You or I may take a hold at any time upon the justice, the mercy, the faithfulness, the wisdom, the long-suffering, the tenderness of God, and we will find every attribute of the Most High to be, as it were, a great battering ram with which we may open the gates of heaven. Take a hold of God's character of who God has revealed himself to be in Scripture and pray from that perspective in his name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Pray from that perspective. And also we need the power of the Spirit. We need biblical perspective to, to be faithful in prayer, okay? Instead of having a passive attitude and, and, and whatever will be, will be. I'm just gonna just ride it out and just wait. God wants us to be active not passive, actively praying and seeking Him because the Bible teaches us 
Well, that there are some things that you and I won't experience in this life unless we ask for them. James 4, 3. You have not because you ask not. Now, I know for those of us who love the sovereignty of God and have more of a reform bent, that verse rubs us. But that verse is so true. God has ordained that through our prayers, we experience many of the blessings that he has for us. You have not because you ask not. God just simply wants you and I to ask him. Yet, we can ask him for the wrong thing and we can ask with the wrong motives. And oftentimes, that's one of the reasons why we don't experience what we ask for. Because we don't pray according to his will. We pray selfishly. Another way you and I can be faithful in prayer is to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I love this. This is, this is key. Because when we come to God in prayer, we open up our lives for the Spirit of God to work through us. Actually, the Spirit leads us into prayer, and prayer is a response to God. God's the one who has taken initiative in our relationship with Him. He's the one who invites us to pray. He's the one who draws us by His Spirit to pray. And so we pray because Jesus taught us to pray, the perspective that the Bible teaches, but also the Spirit leads us into effective prayer. Romans eight twenty six through 27 says this. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. For as we ought. Does anybody feel that right now in your prayer life? You don't know how to pray as you ought to. You know your prayer life should be vibrant special, holy. It should be a, you should be having sweet times of communion with God and enjoy it rather than it just be a checklist or something that you neglect and you only do when you're in trouble. For we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I love that the Holy Spirit is our helper. That God hasn't just left us to ourselves to try to figure it all out. God has given us the power of His Spirit, His his self, his presence to dwell inside of us and the spirit helps us where our prayer life is weak and we fall short. We have a great intercessor. The spirit of God makes intercession for us and our savior, Jesus Christ, makes intercession for us. You and I, whether you know it or not, whether you can point to somebody or not who's praying for you, we have somebody who's praying for us always. The spirit's interceding for us. Our Savior's interceding for us. And what a blessing it is to be a part of a faith community where you're in relationship with people who are praying people and who are praying for one another. So to be faithful in prayer, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Jude 20, 20 and 21, he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. These are powerful words. And at the end of Jude, verse 24, he says, Now now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless, blameless before him at his coming. 
God keeps us, but, but we have a part to play in this and, and, and being faithful. And it's, he says, praying in the Holy Spirit, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just clarify something here. This is not pr- referring to praying in tongues, which Paul uses the term praying in the Spirit in 1 Corinthians. And there he's referring to praying in tongues, okay? Here, he's referring to praying in the Holy Spirit. That is praying prayers that are directed and energized and led by the Holy Spirit. Every Christian can do this. Not every Christian has the gift of speaking in tongues. So so not every Christian can pray in the Spirit in that sense. But every Christian can pray in the power of, of the Spirit, energized by the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit of God living inside of us. Paul in Ephesians 6, 18 says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all supplicate, with prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I think if we're praying in the Holy Spirit, our, our prayer life is going to be vibrant and alive, not dead. There's going to be life flowing because we're going to be praying according to the will of God. And God will answer prayers that are according to his will. First John tells us that first John 5, 14, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know we have what we ask for. First John 5, 14 and 15. And so the Spirit of God directs us to pray according to the will of God. And the Scriptures reveal the will of God. The Scriptures give us perspective on how do we pray what God wants. How do we align our hearts with Him? You know, prayer is like sharpening of an axe or sharpening of a blade. Years ago, I worked in a warehouse at Weir's Furniture... One of my jobs was quality control and I would uncrate boxes and prep furniture to go into the trucks, to go into the homes. And I used a box knife. That was one of my my number one tools that I needed during the day that I kept in my pocket all throughout the day. And as I would use my box knife, my razor blade would get dull. And if I let my razor blade get dull, then I would have to exert more strength and energy to cut through the box. And it was more difficult and I was more likely to mess up, cut the furniture or cut myself. But if I would, and I had to take time to either change the blade or sharpen the blade, I could slice through those boxes much easier and save myself some strength. Prayer is like sharpening the blade. Some of us are exerting our own strength, trying to live our lives and do everything in our own strength, whether it's parenting our children or being effective and on our job or or make wise decisions. And God wants us to come to him in prayer and be sharpened by him in prayer. Prayer is like washing the windshield for us, giving us a clear perspective. Through prayer, we get perspective that comes from God. Psalm 73, the, the psalmist had a perspective that was leading him to discouragement as he looked at the ungodly and the wicked who seemed to be prospering and he was struggling in life until he went to God in prayer and corporate worship in, in the sanctuary and God reminded him of their end, the ungodly's end. And God reminded him of the relationship that he has with him, right? Whom have I in heaven but you? There's none that I desire on the earth besides you. 
And so prayer sharpens us. Prayer washes the windshield, so to speak. Prayer is like refueling our vehicles. Some of us are, are driving around way too long with the, with the empty light, with the uh, gas light on. My, I get on to my wife about that. She's, since we were dating, she would always like to take the risk of driving on low for miles. She just loved to test it. She drove by faith and not by sight, right? Uh, she just loved to test it. And I would be like, come on, we got to fill up. We got to fill up. God wants us through prayer to get filled up continually with his power, with his spirit. Don't live life running around on empty. You need God to fill you up. And the way to get filled up is through prayer. Prayer is like putting air in your tires. If you ride bikes or drive a vehicle, if you ride around on a bike that has low tire air air pressure, then you, you won't go as fast. You got to work harder. And, and next thing you know, you'll have a flat tire if you don't get that taken care of. So prayer is like sharpening the blade, cleaning the windshield, refueling our vehicles, putting air in the tires. We need prayer. We need relationship with God. Andrew Murray says this about the Holy Spirit in prayer. Where there's much prayer, there's much of the Spirit. So Billy Graham says this, three secrets to his successful ministry are prayer, prayer, and more prayer. Andrew Murray said it is, it is prayer that lies at the root of spiritual life and power of the church. Charles Spurgeon said when he was asked the secret of his spiritual power, Spurgeon was asked and he said, knee work, knee work. And so we need, we need to be people of prayer. It's my desire that we be a prayerful church, that we love it, that we see it as an opportunity, not merely as an obligation. That we see it as a delight to spend time with God, not just merely a duty that we have to. Something that we get to do and we get to experience Him. So what are some barriers to prayer? In this next parable, Jesus told a, a parable of two guys that went to pray. And one was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. The two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven. He beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went away, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The first parable that we looked at is uh, the focus is being faithful in prayer. This one is being humble in prayer. If we're going to have a vibrant, sustaining prayer life, we need to humble ourselves before God and not pray, not play games with God and not use prayer as something that strokes our egos and makes us feel like more spiritual than everybody else because we know how to pray and we fast. And we give our tithes. Now those are good things to do. But if we're trusting in ourselves that we're righteous because of these things, we are going to hit a roadblock when it comes to God and prayer. If you have struggling prayer life right now, 
This may be something to consider. Is there pride in your life that's keeping you from experiencing intimacy with God, nearness with God? Because the scripture says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So if you're coming to God thinking that you're all righteous in and of yourself because of the things that you do, you're going to experience resistance that comes from God. And if you're looking down upon others, treating others with contempt, like this Pharisee was, judgment, treating others with contempt, your prayers aren't going to go further than the ceiling. The scripture tells us that the, the prayer of the proud person is an abomination to the Lord. It's detestable. To God, But this other tax collector, this sinner, was just saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is the humble posture that we should come to God in prayer with. God, I need you. I'm not righteous in and of myself. I need your grace. I need your mercy. In the first parable, we see the widow crying out for justice. In this parable, we see this sinner crying out for mercy. And both are appropriate for us to cry out to God for. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So I want to close with a, an example of a godly man who prayed much and saw God show up much. When I thought about and I talked to my wife and a friend of mine who sends me all these books on prayer, a godly man and who is a godly man of prayer in his 80s. He, I actually texted him this morning and I said, who comes to your mind when you think about a godly example of prayer uh, throughout history? And he said the very same guy that I was thinking about, George Mueller, who lived most of his life in uh, Bristol, England from 1805 to 1898. Let me just read an article from a guy named Donald Whitney about George Mueller. Uh, George Mueller, well, actually, this, here's some facts here. He cared for um, 10,024 orphans during his lifetime. He provided educational opportunities for orphans to point to the point that they were, that he was even accused by some of raising the poor above their natural station in the Brit British life. He established 117 schools which offered Christian education for more than 120,000. He was also he also got to preach for Charles Spurgeon and he got to do follow-up work for DL Moody. Pretty cool if you guys if you know who those guys are. George Mueller is widely considered one of the greatest men of prayer of faith, prayer and faith since the days of the New Testament. He lived nearly the entire 19th century, two-thirds of it in Bristol, England, and he led four he led four far-reaching influential ministries. We know him best today for his orphanages. During a time in England when most orphans lived in miserable workhouses or on the streets like Charles Dickens, Oliver Twist, Muller took them in, fed them, clothed them, educated them. Through his orphanage in Bristol, Mueller cared for as many as 2,000 orphans at a time. More than 10,000 in his lifetime, yet he never made the needs of his ministry known to anyone except to God in prayer. Only through his annual reports did anyone learn after the fact what the needs had been during the previous year and how God had provided. Mueller had over 50,000 specific recorded answers to prayer in his journals. Did y'all hear that? 50,000 specific answered prayers 
in his journal. He kept a prayer journal. Guys, let's keep a prayer journal so we can keep up with these prayers. Many of us have all kinds of answers to prayers that we just forget about. We forget to thank God and we forget to testify. We could be lining up every every week with if we kept a prayer journal of what God's doing in our lives, right? So 50,000, 30,000 of which he had said were answered the same day or the same hour that he prayed. Isn't that amazing? Think of it. it that's 500 uh, definite answers to prayer each year. More than one per day. Every single day for six years. God funneled over half a billion dollars in today's dollars through his hands in answer to prayer. So how did George Mueller pray? He said for the first 10 years of what he called his life of faith, referring not only to when he was unknown, for, but to 10 years of trust in God and remarkable answers to prayer. He often struggled to get in the spirit of prayer. Anybody relate? Okay, I, I love that he includes this here. He often struggled to get into the spirit of prayer. In other words, to really feel like praying until, that is, he made one slight alteration in his method. Here's how he described the change. The difference then between my former practice and my present one is this. Formerly, when I rose, I began to pray as soon as possible and generally spent all of my time till breakfast in prayer and almost all at the same time. All the events I almost invariably began with prayer. But what was the result? I spent a quarter of an hour or half an hour or even an hour on my knees before being conscious to myself of having derived comfort, encouragement, humbling of the soul. And often after having suffered much from wandering of mind for the first 10 minutes. Anybody relate to that? First 10 minutes. <laughs> or a quarter of an hour, or even half an hour, I only then really began to pray. I scarcely ever suffer now in this way. For my heart, being nourished by the truth, being into experiential fellowship with God, I speak to my Father as to my friend. Vile though I am, and unworthy of it, about the things that He has brought before me in His precious Word, it often astonishes me that I did not sooner see this point. So what did he find here? Though he was all a godly man of prayer who spent much time in prayer, he found that when he started praying the scripture, the word of God, the Holy Spirit inspired this, this word here, okay? And he started praying the scripture. His prayer life started rising to another level. What better way to pray the word of God than just to take the scripture and use the perspective and the promises that were given here in scripture and then talking to God about them. John fifteen seven, Jesus said this, and I prayed this this morning. I reminded God of this and myself of this this morning. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you desire and it'll be given to you. Wow, that's like a blank check. Now, I think if we're abiding in Jesus and we're closely connected with him and aligned with his heart, we're not going to be praying selfishly for things. We're going to be praying according to his will. But he says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you can ask whatever you desire and it'll be given to you. This is for your joy, church. 
If you're, if you're missing out on joy, Jesus said in John 16, 24, until now you've asked nothing in my name, asking you shall receive that your joy may be full. If you're struggling to walk in joy, prayer is the key to that answer. So George Mueller learned how to pray. Mueller would sometimes flounder for half an hour or uh, to an hour trying to pray, fighting to focus his thoughts and kindle feelings for prayer in his heart. Only after long determined struggle would he finally enter into a sense of communion with God. But once he began to practice conversing with God about what he found in the word of God, he scarcely ever suffered with those problems in prayer. Praying through a passage of scripture as he went, walking about in the fields, was the uncomplicated method that transformed the daily experience of one of the most famous men of prayer in history. And it can transform your prayer life just as easily. So may we be a people of prayer. Amen? So in application, make prayer a priority at the beginning of your day and throughout your day. Make it a priority. Don't let it be the uh, spare wheel in the back of your vehicle. Let it be the steering wheel. Talk to God. Have a continual conversation with God by keeping short accounts with Him. Use what Brother Lawrence called breath prayers. Just short prayers like, God, would you help me? Would you help me? God, forgive me. That attitude was bad. Forgive me. God, would you give me wisdom here? Help me to make the right decision here. God, what do you want here? Just short little breath prayers. You can do this while you're working. Moms, you can do this while kids are demanding your attention and needing food and needing your help and needing to lay lay them down and so on. You can pray these prayers, have these conversations with God, and then identify barriers in your heart. Identify barriers in your prayer life. For some, you may need to forgive somebody. Maybe the barrier of unforgiveness has kept you from having a vibrant prayer life. You've, you've taken offense at somebody and you need to forgive them so that you can experience the benefit of God's forgiveness in your life and have unhindered communion with the Father. Maybe, maybe you've been in unbelief and you haven't been praying with God's perspective. Okay, and you need God's perspective from His Word. You need to talk to Him. Let the Word of God give you faith to what you pray for. And direct what you pray for. For others, you, maybe you need to just humble yourself. You've been walking in pride. Maybe you have judgments towards others. You've looked down upon others who aren't as, as godly as you. And maybe you need to humble yourself before the Almighty and acknowledge that you're a poor and needy sinner. And God is a great and gracious Savior. So identify those barriers. What's hindering you in your prayer life? If you're married and you have conflict with your spouse, First Peter tells us that for husbands to dwell with their wives in an understanding way that your prayers be not hindered. Maybe you need some resolved conflict with a spouse or, or any relationship. You know, Jesus says, you know, first go be reconciled to another person that you have conflict with and then come and bring your gift to the altar. One of the things Jesus taught us to pray in prayer, and I'm going to close it up here because I'm over time, is forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. How frequent is that in your prayers? Because you and I are still sinners, though we're saints, 
Those of us who are children of God, we have a new identity, we're, we're, we're forgiven, we're redeemed saints, yet we still sin. And so confession and asking God to forgive and cleanse us needs to be a regular part of our prayer life. Otherwise, we are not in tune with the wickedness of our own hearts and lives. As we get in the presence of holiness of Almighty God, we're going to be convicted of our sins. We're not going to be like the Pharisee who is blinded to his sinfulness and he thinks he's so righteous in and of himself. But when we see God for who he is in his holiness and we humble ourselves before him, we're going to ask God for mercy and forgiveness and cleansing. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege of what we call prayer. That through the blood of your son, your people have bold, confident access to the throne of grace now. And we can go there. Thank you that we have access to you, the most powerful person in the universe. You've given us access to you, the wisest person in the universe. You've given us access to you, the most loving person in the universe. You've given us access to you, the most wealthy person in the universe. God, and we come to you. We want to know you. We want to know your heart. And we want to see your will be done in our lives. And we want to see, God, all that you have for us unleashed. So God, where there's any barriers of pride, unforgiveness, judgment, um, unresolved conflict, God, would you help us to identify those barriers? And God, would you thrust us into a life of vibrant, faithful prayer? May it be a delight for us and not merely a duty. May we find much joy in our communion with you. May our conversations with you lead to a profound encounter with you and change us from the inside out. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.